Good morning, Peach and Shag. Well, it's morning where I am. I'm about to listen to your new episode. Um, happy 200 episodes. I'm so happy for you. Anyway, um, this is your friend Rachel from the States. You were kind enough to um, cover the movie Mother! Exclamation point for me several months ago. Anyway, I'm writing to you to tell you that I think a really fun horror movie trope is when the villain drinks milk. Okay, bye. I am so excited about your guys' 200th episode. Your show has renewed my love for horror movies. It helped my husband find a way to connect with me like through horror movies, your podcast, there's a couple other true crime podcasts that have really helped us over the pandemic. And you guys have just been such a bright light in a really dark time for me the last couple of years. So thank you and congratulations. And I am like over the moon excited. This podcast contains... Course- I said true crime, but I meant horror movies. The other two horror movie ones I listen to are Ruin and 100 Horrors. And... The three of you guys and Spooko, you two, Peach and Chad, were the first ones that me and my husband listened to, and we loved it. We use a lot of the inside jokes all the time. We still call Big Sean, Big Yawn. Like, I just, I love you guys. I'm really happy. This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. I had an interesting experience this morning. Um, one of the things I'm doing in my life at the moment is weighing in reasonably heavily to coaching my eldest golden child's touch footy team. Um, and that means we get some time in the car together. And one, and as, I, as I've said maybe 50 episodes ago and then probably 100 episodes before that, I really wouldn't presume to give parenting advice, but I might just recap my big bits of parenting advice. Um, listening to um, old like rowdy boom bap rap songs just by their instrumental is a fun way to dance and bump around the house with your kids. So like anti up by MOP is like the instrumental like in, in our house. Like, so that's a, that's, that's a good way to get that energy going without having the swear words and the uh, problematic content bouncing around, but tricking your uh, child as they're growing up into having deep and meaningful chats with you <laughs> while driving them somewhere <laughs> is another really handy tip that I'm coming to understand. I'm like, oh, whoops. We've just got some nice time to have some nice chats together. And I got asked about scary movies, Shag. Oh and it my was gosh. Peach into the Shag position. And it was like, what was that movie Piggy about that I saw on like on the Spooko playlist? And I was like, oh, I probably won't tell you about that one. And they were like, oh, what's one you can tell me about? And oh like, well, my gosh, Peach, I love this. What did you choose? I chose Nightmare on Elm Street. Great. Because I was like, this is the one that Shag and I would have been, you know, when we were about your age, this is the one we were kind of a little bit scared about and a little bit curious about. Yeah, tell your kids about a pedophile that haunts teens in their dreams with a knife hand. 
Yeah, as I was getting through it and I was like, yeah, and the whole point about horror films is that the baddie wins at the end. So, like, it's still scary forever. So it's pretty freaky. You know? <laughs> so this is the child who stopped me from reading the, like, Adventures of Sherlock Holmes because it had a murder in it. It was like, no, I can't deal with books with murders in them. So uh, in hindsight, I probably chose the wrong film and could have managed the conversation better. But it was it was just very interesting to have Spooko, like, read back to me in real life. But um. So if I can get to the meat of the discussion today, yes. um, Reshes, right? We had a conversation about four <laughs> years ago where I said, I'm going to shout out this beer brand. <laughs> the way it's going to work is eventually they're going to start slinging us free beer and maybe a little bit of money, right? They're going to get some publicity. They're in business. They know what's going on. Wink, wink under the table. And you said, that's not how it works. I did say that's not how it works. And I know you're going somewhere with this, but... I just want to put out that we have been shouting out Reshes at the end of our episodes for four plus years now, unpaid, and the amount of people from outside of Australia who mm. have t- spoken to us and was like, oh, what's this beer, Reshes? Where can we get it? Or even better, they say, when I come to Australia, can't wait to have a Reshes. We have been micro-influencing. Or we get photos from, like, people who are, like, like or Instagram stories that are, like, just having a Reshes for the Spooko boys. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, yeah. And so, Shag, I just thought I'd say, what up today to this long neck of VB? <laughs> um, and I thought I might just say, what's up, VB? Uh, how are you going? Reshes, we got a case of free beer three years ago, and that was really nice. Um, but I just thought, uh, you know, just, just... <laughs> Just so our efforts are not, like, underrated, I thought, well, you know, this is how the other half are living. Shag, I wonder if you had any feedback or reflections with our micro-influencer micro successes or where we think we might take things, or should we take the peach approach and just hopefully cross our fingers that continuing to do the same thing uh, might yield different results? Well. Cheers. I mean, I, I just think your intuition's usually right, but it it feels like building up a history of supporting a brand and goodwill towards a brand mm. and then immediately changing course, dropping it all and choosing a new brand. It's probably not a good way to get either brand supporting us. Oh, yeah. Right? Oof, yep, uh, you know, yep, and I'm, I'm not, you. this is not a beer or a marketing podcast, mm. but it is kind of funny how we just started influencing Barestas without actually, like, and like we, we have always said, we are doing this podcast, like we just do this for the hell of it. We do not want to get paid through this mm. podcast. But at the same time, it's weird that we influence Barestas out of the goodness of our hearts. I'm coming to the point where I'm grown up enough to say, I think I'm wrong. Like, I think, like, <laughs> doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to stop, but I'm like, eh, I think my plan of like, oh, just keep doing this for a while. And we'll end up getting, like, properly sponsored. Like, I still say, oh, yeah, we're sort of sponsored by Reshes from time to time. I mean, we got we got a couple of cases once. And then well, other like, people r- sent us cases, which was really lovely. That's happened, But they yeah. come from the brand. We only, once from the brand, we got two cases. It feels a bit like we're, like, Resh with benefits kind of thing. It's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're Resh with benefits. <laughs> is what I sort of had in mind. Oh, it's like <laughs> I, I've been with Adele long enough that I never experienced dating apps, mm. but it does feel like we've been ghosted by Reshes, which is <laughs> which is really fitting for this podcast. Oh, we've been ghosted by the beers <laughs> and we're still being like, yeah, we're Reshes and us. We're yeah. so maybe you're right, Pete. You know what? Maybe you're right. Like I have pride. It's one of my favorite of the deadly sins, and yeah, maybe VB Peach. Just give a quick shout out, VB. It's another Australian beer. You like it? 
Yeah, marginally worse than Rashes, but you know, in the same in the same ballpark. So if you enjoy Rashes, um, this is only slightly worse. So it really, it gets my you know one and three quarter thumbs up. Uh, I'm not having the worst time over here, baby. It's reasonably good. Okay, well, I want to get back to the roots of Spooko as well on this episode because, as much as I really appreciated all of the love of last week's mm. episode and all of the friendship homework. You know, and all of the guests that we've had in the last 20 episodes or so, I can't be editing a feature-length podcast every week. I'm, 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 can I just interrupt? Yeah. It's it's a lovely, it's like a cinematic experience. Like you are back on your podcast editing bullshit. It's lovely to listen to. And I know I'm jinxing us by saying this, but Mm. I'd love to have another half hour episode. Do you reckon we could have a half hour episode this week? I'd probably prefer a sort of flabbier, more freewheeling sort of episode. <laughs> and, but, okay, let's do that. Let's mm. do that. Okay, so today's film yep. pitch, speaking of going back to our roots, here's a really mm. fun horror film with a fun premise that's a question that you kind of have to ask yourself as a viewer, which I think is a really fun one, and I can't wait to ask you because... Is this haunted, question mark? Uh, haunted? No, no. This okay. is a film from a director we talk about, like, a little bit, on this pod, M. Night Shyamalan. Yep. I'm so glad you're saying um, M. Night's Shyamalan. name. Yep, sick, sick. I'm, I'm with you. This is a film that uh, adapted from one of those horror novels that I actually read on one of those holidays where I was like, you know what? I don't want to pretend that I want to read anything other than horror. I'm just going to read a trashy horror novel. I read the book this was based on, loved the book, was excited to see what M. Night would do with it, was slightly disappointed what he did, but it's still a pretty cool story. So today, Peach, we are doing the 2023 apocalyptic psychological horror film, Knock at the Cabin. VB, what's up? Are we going to sing along? Yes, of course! I want to put on my, 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 my boogie shoes. Yeah! 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 Fuck, this feels like Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, you cast this guy. Yeah. Dave Batista. My name's Leonard. It's nice to meet you, Will. Why are you here? I suppose I'm here to make friends with you. And your dad's too. But my heart is broken. Why is it broken? Because of what I have to do today. Oh, that's... This is a really good trailer, Shag. There is a woman carrying something that looks like a pick with a chain and a mallet head. You see, the four of us have a very important job to do. In fact... It might be the most important job in the history of the world. Remember when tattoos used to be intimidating? <laughs> it's so weird. And now they just stop you from going to onsens in Japan. Is that so? Yeah. I feel really bad. Like, tattoos are such a big part of our generation. And obviously, Australians going to Japan is a big Australian rite of passage. And I just feel bad because onsens are like the best part of going to Japan. And they can't go. I think we've spoken before. I'm getting distracted in this interesting conversation. <laughs> like, like we've spoken before about the number of influences. Like, oh, 
I'm discriminated against because I've got tattoos. It's so unfair. <laughs> oh my so, god, this is the fun. Okay, my favorite. You are right. My favorite yeah, LinkedIn like, content. Let's get this trailer. Trailer was great. Yeah, the trailer is great. Yeah. The trailer is great. Yeah. My favorite LinkedIn content, and you've put me onto it. And it seems to be usually lawyers, and it's yes. lawyers being like. I'm discriminated against because I have tattoos, but I'm just a normal person like anyone else. I just express myself through body art. And it's like, you can't do something to yourself, choose to do it, and then be like, now I'm... And it's Because it's not even a belief. Like, I accept that in some cultures, yes, culturally, some people culturally get tattoos. Mm. That is different. That is not what we were talking about. Yeah. That is people who get full arm sleeves that look cool and then proclaim to be discriminated against. It's just weird as well. Like, I made a choice, and now I'm being held to the consequences of my choice <laughs> that I could have anticipated at the time. And it's like, like that's that's the funny thing. Of like, I've got zero problems with having a tattoo. I think having a tattoo in the triangle between your eyes and the point of your nose, like, the, like there's something about that part of your face that if the tattoos start getting into that, little triangle, it's probably about five centimetres squared. I'm like, oh, that sort of weirds me out. Tattoos on nose and sort of on eyeballs and oh, sort of in and that little zone. And then people that get a teardrop but actually haven't killed anyone, and you're kind of like, well, that's just stolen valour right there. Oh, or the 50-50, like where you're like, oh, maybe that's not stolen valour. Like where you're kind of like, <laughs> But But you <laughs> know what's, what's actually funny about this is I think <clears throat> most people have realised how dumb this is because the only place that that content flies is on LinkedIn. And on LinkedIn... If you're a lawyer mm. with tattoos, exactly. you post up that content, you're guaranteed like a thousand likes. Guaranteed comments being like, you're so brave. Thank you for taking a stand. Blah, 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 blah. And, and like, I'm not even being like, tattoos shouldn't have, like, lawyers shouldn't have tattoos. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying you made that choice. It's weird. It's so weird. To call like- that discrimination. Anyway, it's like, like, sorry, we should really tie a bow on this to be like, have a, a thousand tattoos. But just accept that other people are going to have views on tattoos. I personally don't, except for the view I expressed, which was they used to make people look tough and now they sort of make people look um, not not bad, but a, a nice. it's a nice way of saying, hey, I, I believe in stuff. And it could be believing in not being tough or believing in being tough. But it's just interesting to see that cultural shift. Well, I just want to say like a final thing, which I think is really mm. funny. It's like, you know, my point about onsens in Japan it's like, hmm. I don't see any of these influencers being like, I'm discriminated against. <laughs> I, don't see, I haven't seen one, right? But they're happily be like, people look at me for like people, you know, and it's like, okay, well, cool. So you just pick easy targets like making a post on LinkedIn that you know are going to get people who want your business or are on their best behavior to get like to give you an easy, sympathetic, uh, like heart emoji. Anyway, all right. Pete, I've it's got, tough times. I've got, I've got two questions to ask you. Mm. We've only got like 13 minutes to go probably. Yeah, no, I'm so sorry. I don't know how we're going to do this. Quick question. How cancelled is the Harry Potter universe? Can it be totally cancelled? Oh, we've got an extremely useful and intelligent listener named Stuart who actually opened our 200th episode. It was Stuart's voice you heard commencing it. And he purchased the most recent like Adventures in Hogwarts for, you know, $69 Australian or whatever on Switch and made the equivalent donation to a trans charity. And so I was able to say to J.K. Rowling, I think on Twitter, of like, hey, J.K. Rowling, your creativity has directly caused me to make a donation to a charity that um, is an activist charity for people championing trans rights. Well done, J.K. Thanks for your creativity supporting the future of um, trans people and protecting and projecting their interests. But also here's $69. 
Yeah, it's complex. <laughs> I, I guess my point is because it, like, it makes me think about mm. how hard it is to cancel a universe. Even like we go back to Kanye. Like I've never DJed a Kanye track out, out ever, like, and I probably won't. I can't mm. see that changing. It's just done. And it's weird when you hear a DJ playing Kanye or you're a bit like, ooh. But I'm like, you kind of can't cancel the universe of songs he's produced or co-produced. Mm. Like we've got My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy on vinyl upstairs and it's like well, what am i like what are you gonna do and the kid's like this is really good music and i'm like yeah like i don't know i don't know how to un like unscramble the omelet so so with that in mind it might be interesting to you or it might not be that this film stars rupert grint in one of the roles who plays is, Ru- is rupert grint cancelled for reasons other than no, being but harry he's potter, from or? the harry potter universe ah uh, has he stood up for jk to be like oh there are some interesting questions to be asked about trans rights and jk's got some <laughs> fuck she sucks ah, why double down on like like it's okay to be like ignorance and open-minded like i feel like this podcast is in some ways a journey right in yeah, some ways it's yeah. you and me being like oh we're part of the problem i also really hope we didn't offend any tattooed lawyers yeah like and as well i sort of um i don't have a particular problem well, in fact Stuart's a tattooed lawyer and we were just applauding his his way of moving through the world yeah, so there you go. like I, i'm but also if we did offend tattooed lawyers yeah <laughs> um the idea that like JK is like, no, my view is correct on this and I've really got to dive in. And and I don't want to get into the sort of distinction between first wave feminism and contemporary intersectional feminism. I don't want to get into the really deep and murky oh, waters fuck, that two is, white and, men. And fuck, this is happening because I said it'd be a short episode, isn't it? Fucking hell. It, oh, shake your cursed <laughs> again. This is this book her curse. You know what, Peach? Yeah, let's leave it there. Let's just say Rupert Grant. So let's watch Don't Knock at the Door. Uh, yeah. Yes. Who's yes. knocking at that door? Don't knock at the door. Okay, so. <laughs> VB, I've got that VB energy. Any <laughs> uh, problematic views I've expressed can be attributed to jumping ship from Reshes to VB. So second question. Second question. Mm. If four people showed up at your door when you and your family were at home Mm. and said that they needed to come in, in fact, they wouldn't take no for an answer, and when they came in, explained that your family would have to make a decision to willingly sacrifice one of its members and do it yourselves to Mm. prevent the end of the world. And had some proof, not conclusive proof, but good proof to show that this is indeed something that's going to happen. What do you do? Oh, knowing me, I probably commit suicide, don't I? Like, don't I probably? <laughs> no, but you set can't do out? that. See, you can't do that. Like, because somebody else has to do it. But knowing you, that is probably what you would do. And then they'd be like, no, you still have to sacrifice someone. Everybody'd be like, bitch. Well, yeah, like the degree of certainty, like, it's such a bizarre thing that I'd be happy to consider these people to be like gaslit sort of cult members and say, no, that's like, that's simply wrong. Shag, like, I can't believe we haven't got into this film and we've only got, like, eight seconds left. Yeah, let's do this. Okay, so this is a film based on a book, and I just want to say from the outset, Mm. the book had a lot more room for leaving it up to the reader's interpretation, which I think made it a far stronger narrative. Mm. In this one... M. Night has a very clear idea of what's happening. And oh, he, it's made up or it's real. Basically, kind of yeah, and he conveys yeah, it to okay. the audience. And it, it yeah, just okay. kind of like, it, it kind of, I think, 
ruins it a little bit. But Because to me, that's the central tension, right? Yep. Like, are these people lying or not? And in the book, you end up being like, I, ooh, oh, okay, that's, that's a bit weird. Anyway, mm. so, starts with seven-year-old Wen, who is vacationing with her fathers, Eric and mm. Andrew, at a remote cabin in rural Pennsylvania. So immediately Wen is this darling, precocious child capturing praying mantises in a jar, speaking mm. to them, just in this very rural... I mean, I like. I assume this is what Pennsylvania looks like. No one films in the state that they say they're filming in. Yeah, they're like, yeah, we actually shot this in Croatia. Or yeah, exactly, it's like, right? Cool. <laughs> it's like awesome. So I would say it looks like rural Pennsylvania, but to be honest, it just looks like a wood. Mm. They're staying at a wood cabin. Uh, it's the titular cabin. Mm. Mm. And she's approached by Leonard, a.k.a. Drax, a.k.a. Dave Batista, who is wearing a short sleeve shirt and a tie and glasses. Does he have any tattoos or anything like that? <laughs> well, I th- no, he does. I think he just does generally. But also, he's, he's wearing a too tight-fitting suit. And it's <clears> something <throat> I've learned from following that fashion guy on Twitter or X or whatever it's called, where it's like a lot of... Really muscly yep. dudes love to show off their muscles by wearing a tight suit, but actually, classically, that's not what you should do at all. And in fact, it should be like mm-hmm. a little bit baggier. So, because it's about the lines of the suit, not the lines of your body, which in turn just make make you give you a more classic figure, which is kind of what the point of suits. I think he always goes in at whoever played Superman and The Witcher, the name of whom escapes me. Oh, Henry Cavill. Um, Henry Cavill, he's always like, fucking Henry Cavill, in Great Nick, can't buy a suit to fucking save his life. Good <laughs> Fuck off and go home. But now, now I see it everywhere. And I think Dave mm. Batista, at least, or at least the costume designer and mm. department who dressed Dave, definitely are guilty of this. Anyway, so he approaches Wen, and it's that really creepy conversation where an adult just start, like a stranger just starts talking to a kid and does what they can to <sighs> grab their trust. And especially, it especially sucks watching that as a parent to know just how easy it would be for like someone to gain the trust of your kids, no matter. Like what you've you heard teach about them. the puppies one, which I've never sort of like. Hey, I've got all these new puppies back. At, like, let's all head back to my house. We can go pat the new puppies. And I know, like, all my golden children would be like, "Are you fucking kidding? <laughs> what breeds? Like, let's like, <laughs> like start the car. <laughs> let's go play with these puppies." So Leonard gains Wen's trust and then explains he needs Wen and her parents' help to save the world. We then see in the distance coming through the woods are three more people all carrying makeshift weapons. The makeshift weapons are kind of, I mean, they're just scary-looking things. They're like, imagine having a pitchfork and then tying four cleavers to it. So it's kind of like a ninja star on the end of a pitchfork, that sort of thing. Do you feel like these augmentations would really improve the usability of the original thing? Uh, yeah, like I... Do you remember Casey Jones in Ninja Turtles where it's like, oh, I've got a cricket bat, which is heaps better than a sword or whatever. And it's like, look, probably for hitting a cricket ball, it's better than a sword. <laughs> like... <laughs> You'll see though, because there's, there's, I mean, again, I, I'd like, and I wish, I wish I'd read the book closer to watching this film because I feel like now the film has, I'm going to use a VHS metaphor. I feel like the film has taped over my memories of the book. You know, when Bravo. that happens, like you've. Fuck, Shag. 
like I don't want to get too distracted and too much that I've just smashed this VB and uh, it's gone now. But that's a fucking great metaphor and explains absolutely perfectly the concept you're trying to convey. So, so that's... We should do a podcast together talking about movies. <laughs> or talking about Gordon Ramsay. Oh, la, la. Yeah, but, but there's... There is a there is a there is kind of a purpose for them beyond it's almost like a ceremonial purpose for them, which is mm. why they kind of have to look scary and freaky. Anyway, they go to the door, and that's when we discover Wen has two dads, and they're like the sweetest family. Oh my mm. god! And I think the one thing this film does really well are these flashbacks peppered through, where you see the family interacting, and it's like it's not even like sappy 80s tv commercial family it's genuine lovely family that the 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 thing in a family when you have a song that you will love and when it comes on and everybody just sorts of gets into it like it's the boom bap without the lyrics it's that sort of vibe it's mop coming on in the car i'm afraid shag it's become for us the fourth song in that brand new album let me just find it for you you can put it in your next dj (laughs) so um so yeah, super, super, super lovely family. And when goes back and basically Leonard's like, you go tell your dad. When goes into the house and the the two dads are up the back and they're like, see, we didn't have to go looking for her. She was fine the whole time. And Wen's like, you gotta come inside. There's these people coming and they're gonna blah 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 blah. And they're like, hold on, hold on. And then they do go inside and then they get this like really big like knock, 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 knock. <laughs> at the door and it's Leonard and he's basically being like, I'm really sorry to disturb you. And like, they do a really good thing in this film where he's always like, look, I'm really sorry to disturb you. I know this is weird. This is going to feel really weird. I don't want to, you know, I don't like, I'm not, uh, but we have a really important thing to talk to you guys about and we, we can't leave. You have to let us in sort of both apologetic, but also very firm that this needs to happen. And Basically, the dad's like, fuck this. Like, we're not going to do this. And one of them's like, I've got a gun. And the other one's like, you've got a gun? And he's like, yeah, but it's locked in my car, which obviously is going to be a thing later oh, on. Fucking the- snitch dad too. <laughs> fuck that. <laughs> but anyway, but anyway, so they're like, you're not getting in. So the individual starts surrounding the house. There's a pretty creepy scene where, you, you know... Can't can just linger on how effective a family it is if one parent has a gun and the other one's unaware of the existence of the gun and unaware of where it is. Shag, I think this shatters the perfect family image we might have been provided with earlier. No family is perfect. You're right. And the idea mm. of a perfect family is a problematic thing to begin with because... It says that flaws are bad, but in fact, everyone has flaws and it's Mm. working through them that makes a good family rather than Mm. immediately breaking the family apart once flaws are discovered. Working through flaws is how Resh has got to their perfect recipe for the most (laughs) refreshing beer of all time. Are we on VB now? Nah, I'm afraid this has convinced me even further. I'm like, this is fine, but it's no rushes. <laughs> because you're drinking a VB and you're like, that's actually like such a sick ad for rushes. It's like, we were going to mm. turn to VB, but I'm drinking it and I miss rushes. So sorry. And we're doing this for free. What the fuck? <laughs> Why are we doing this? How much time of this episode have we dedicated? Anyway, look, sorry. Let's get, let's do this. Anyway, this so- is a real Tuscan leather ad for rushes right now. And also, I really wanted this to be a short episode. Oh, fuck. I'm sorry. Okay, so these four people... We're nearing the end. This is pretty much the end. (laughs) It's actually a really quick movie. These four (laughs) people are surrounding the cabin, and 
they eventually break their way in. Mm. They, they. Rupert Grint's like, all right there, little Harry Bates. Basically, what's they, going on? <laughs> well, you're a wizard, Harry. I'm a what? You fucking <laughs> what? It's your fucking Rupert Grint up in here. So they all break, I think Rupert Grint's got an American accent. I think they all do. Ooh. They all break in. They overpower the family. They tie up the two dads. They don't tie up when, I don't think. And one of them looks after one of the dads, Eric, who sustained a concussion from the fight. And we find out that one of the people that broke in. So there's, there's Dave Batista and Rupert Grint um, and two women, I assume, played by uh, Nikki Amuka Bird and Abby Quinn. And one one of the women is revealed to be a nurse, and so she's actually like while Eric's tied up, she's putting a bandage on his head and basically being like, "Look, I know this this sounds fucking weird. I know you're like freaking out, but we have a really important mission." And he's like, "You guys are sick. You need to let us go." And and immediately they're all kind of like, "This is a hate crime. Like, why can't you just let us be a family?" M Night Shyamalan, um, or however the correct pronunciation of his surname ought to be is actually the perfect person for this, like the king of twists, the king of like being like, well, it was like, I think it was the village shag was the yeah. last film of his. You showed mm. me in like 2006 is the king of like, guess what? <laughs> and so I'm like, I feel like he almost carries that legacy. And so almost as you're watching this film unfold, you're like, Oh, what's M night up to? He's about to show us something sick. So, they sort of gather them in the living room and Leonard and his companions, Sabrina, Adrian, Redmond, claim they have no intention of harming the family. And then they do this thing where they sort of introduce themselves to them. Leonard's like, I'm a primary school teacher. I live in whatever state. Uh, Sabrina or Adrian, one of them is the nurse. And she's like, look, I'm a nurse. I live in this state. Another one's like, I, I, you know, I've got a kid. And I live in, and I've just spent all my savings to come here. And then Redman, who's Rupert Grint, is like, "Look, I've been a do- like I've been a dodgy Redman. dude." His name's Redman, and he's like, "I've done." I'm some- one of six redheaded brothers. <laughs> he's like, "I've done some dodgy shit in my time, but I'm also here for a reason." And they explain that in the past week, they have been driven by visions to find this family. So they all separately have the same visions of an impending apocalypse in which the oceans will rise, a pandemic will spread, and the sky will fall. And the only way to prevent this is for the family to sacrifice one of their own. And if they do not make a choice, they will be the last people standing forced to roam the earth by themselves. Which, on, on the one hand, you're like, well, fuck, it, fuck everyone, we'll roam the earth by themselves. But then one of the dads is like, actually, that's a pretty shit future for when. And you're like, yeah, that's a good point. This feels like a drinking game turned into a film. Like, I know the platform is like a basic metaphor turned into a film. This is like, if you had to kill one of your family to save the world, which would it be? No, it's like, would you rather have a nipple for a mouth or a dick for a butt? You know, like, it's oh, that's that. That's so true. It's a would you so rather. True. It's a would you rather the movie. Yeah, okay, I'm with you. So when the family refuses, the intruders are like, okay, well, this is what we have to do every time you refuse. And every time you refuse, it's going to get worse and you're going to run out of time. So Redman kneels down in front of them. They put a sack over his head and then they all basically smash his head with their weapons until he dies. 
So the weapons are like ceremonial, but they're also to kill each other, not to hurt the family. So what we want is... Oh, sorry, sorry. Didn't, didn't we just kill... No, sorry, who did we just kill? Redmond. Redmond, who is Rupert Green. Oh, we killed Redmond. Yeah, so they killed well, They killed one of their own. So there's four of them, there's now three. All right, yes. And they're basically like, you've... We, we have to kill... We have to sacrifice one of our own, essentially, I guess, to prove that they're not making this up. Do you remember when Methodman and Redmond had all those great shows in the late 90s, early 2000s? Classic joke. Jack's laughing. You can't see it now. He's paralyzed with laughter at that wonderful I joke. I just fucked us by saying I wanted a short episode. Anyway, all right. <laughs> so... <clears throat> So the family refuses, and the intruders sacrifice Redmond by fatally striking him with their weapons. Eric sees a figure of light as Redmond dies. After this, Leonard's like, this is what we have to do, and there's going to be repercussions for you not making a choice. The family's like, this is clearly, this is like, even though you just did this, you guys are clearly a cult. This is probably a hate crime. Like, just let us live our lives. We're not going to sacrifice one of our family. We would never do that. Leonard turns on the TV, and on the television news, there are these reports showing devastating mega tsunamis all over the world. Andrew believes Redmond is Rory O'Bannon. So Andrew is the other dad, so there's Eric and Andrew. Andrew believes Redmond is Rory O'Bannon, a man who had been arrested after assaulting Andrew in a bar years prior. So there's a flashback to Eric and Andrew sort of just discussing whether they should have a kid or not in a bar, and like a guy comes over and there's like a homophobic attack where he's basically like, can you guys quiet down? And Eric or Andrew is basically like, we weren't even being that loud. Fuck off. And so the guy comes back and just glasses them with a bottle. Expelliarmus. <laughs> you can't say that. <laughs> You're drunk. You've had <laughs> AVB. I've been drinking a lot less recently. And so like having one VB, I'm like, let's go, let us go. <laughs> but so now there's a reason for having a, a gun. In, like it turns out that after this, he's gone through years of therapy. He's been obviously an incredibly traumatizing thing mm. to happen. And, you know, secretly bought this gun that he's kept in the truck as a, you know, as a means of self-protection. Mm. And a means of deceiving uh, his husband <laughs> and child. All right. That's so, such a flagrant breach of trust. Anyway, sorry, continue, Shake. Is it different in America where guns are everywhere? I don't know. Oh, I think it's fucking flagrant. Yeah, like, okay. isn't it literally the number one killer of children? Actually, that's a really good point. That is, And yeah. so if, if I was to bring a gun, if you and I were married and raising a child together and I was to bring a gun into our broader household, it's in the car, not the house, without telling you, or if you were to do that without telling me, I'd be like, fuck off you are gone like you are aware this is the most likely way for yeah. our child to die yeah 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 like I, I don't know it's like oh i went through a bit of therapy and bought a gun it's like fuck off champ <laughs> actually it's like no the therapy was so you didn't have to buy the gun exactly absolutely <laughs> absolutely yeah it wasn't that good therapy <laughs> <laughs> Who was it done by? Yeah, yeah. So you, you're like that's the other thing. I think a lot of people are like, well, I saw one therapist, and that's the therapist I have for the rest of my life. Yeah, therapist said it was okay for me to buy a gun, so I did. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, all right, okay. So <laughs> <laughs> I was so, just going to breach some confidentiality. I think it's not breaching confidentiality <laughs> if I don't identify anyone. <laughs> But there's a person in my life who's like, hmm, 
11 or 12 years ago, saw a therapist who said, oh, you probably don't need any therapy, and so I haven't got any. So it's fine. <laughs> Everything I do is fine. <laughs> okay. All right. Every, like, literally every man needs therapy. It's just, uh, it's yeah. not even a we debate. We are anymore. the fucking worst. Okay. So, all right. Okay. So there are these mega tsunamis on TV. Andrew believes Redmond is Rory O'Bannon, a man who had been arrested after assaulting Andrew in a bar years prior. He thinks Rory tracked him down for revenge. And, and, and it kind of like, it's, it's, it's a really, like, I think it's such a fun setup to be like, I mean, and fun in the horror set, in the Feel Bad Club sense, where it's mm. like, you actually don't know. And they're asking you to make the worst possible choice. And on the one hand, it's like, yeah, maybe I do want to save the world, but it's like, how can I be sure? And then this fucking Rory thing happens and it's like, wait a minute. You're the guy that fucking beat me up. How is this not a hate crime? And the whole time they're like, we don't, like, we don't care. We like, we love you. Like, this isn't about that. We just had to come to this house and make whoever was in this house make a choice. Anyway. So Leonard, Sabrina, and Adrian, who are the leftover of the four, grapple with guilt, <coughs> but re- reveal that Redmond's death has unleashed the first judgment of humanity because the, the tidal waves they see on TV match the visions that they all separately have. The next day, the intruders sacrifice Adrian, Adrian, and then they turn on the TV because they, they won't make a choice again. Mm. Meanwhile, a deadly variation of the flu virus spreads across the world again when they turn on the TV. It's like, this just in, there's a pandemic. Do we, do we trust the TV? Yeah, well, I guess. Sorry, go. Because we're yeah. in the middle of nowhere. There's no phone signal. There oh, is it's this so t- annoying to do this in 2023. Like, oh, we're going holiday somewhere with no 4G or 5G reception. <laughs> Isn't it crazy that this is where we're on holiday? I would also say you're a parent and you mm. go for a holiday with your child where you can't contact emergency services. That's probably not a good thing. This isn't a place like that. Like this is the like the frustrating thing of like name a place or the- I mean maybe in Croatia? Like I don't know. I don't know Croatia <laughs> that well. And it's I'm not I'm not sure. There's no Croatia. place in Pennsylvania. In fact, like I will associate there is nowhere in Pennsylvania that will not have sufficient mm. mobile phone reception yeah. for you to check basic news sources. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> All right. And I get that information from brand new's 2004 album, Sick Transit Gloria, Glory Fades. Brand new, have been cancelled. Lead singer was a horrible, uh, like really like preyed on young women. This is the band yeah. whose music I've been listening to with my children. I'm really, I'm really sorry. Like I'm really sorry. Oh, for fuck's sake. Never listen to anyone who made pop punk or emo music in the late 90s, early noughties. Like everyone was a predator. Like it, it's just, it just seems like that. So the 1975 have made some jives my kids like. <laughs> seems pretty. It's just like I, I, I feel bad, but it's like they're just, yeah, anyway. Anyway, look, let's continue. Let's continue. Okay, so. Andrew escapes and gets into the car and shoots at Sabrina with his gun until she flees. He finds Redmond's wallet and discovers that his name was Rory. So it was the guy. Mm -hmm. As Leonard is being held at gunpoint, Sabrina breaks in and is fatally shot by Andrew. So there's only Leonard left. Leonard decapitates Sabrina, who is sort of like still alive, but has to still sacrifice her, sacrifice her before taking Andrew's gun. A TV broadcast reveals that hundreds of spontaneous plane crashes have occurred around the world. So remember the third thing was like the sky falling yep. and that's just planes are just falling out of the sky. Realizing their time is nearly over, Leonard informs the family that after his death, they will only have a few minutes to make a decision. He then slits his throat. 
Upon his death, lightning causes fire and more planes crash. This is what sucks, right? So up till now, there's this question of like, did they somehow hack the TV? Mm, Are they a cult? Why is this guy connected to me? And then in the background of one of these shots, we see a plane fall out of the sky and it's like, oh, so it is happening. Uh, And it's just kind of like, oh, okay, cool. So Eric now believes the events are real and the intruders represent the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And he's like, maybe this has happened all through history. Oh, come on. Anyway. Shag. I didn't pick that. I didn't see that coming and I should yeah, have seen that coming. Yeah, that's the twist sucks. in this film. Uh... Not wanting when to grow up in a destroyed world, he offers himself as the sacrifice and envisions an older Andrew and an adult Wen thriving in the future. He yes. feels that their family was chosen to make the sacrifice because their love is so pure. Andrew reluctantly Fucking shoots... Fucking shit comment. It's founded on a lie of the... Yeah, anyway. That's a good point. Andrew reluctantly shoots and kills Eric. Andrew and Wen then, like, and you don't... And I guess now we're supposed to be like, well, maybe it's too late. And it's like, that's way less compelling than maybe it didn't happen at all. Anyway, Andrew and Wen find the visitor's truck with belongings that corroborate all their stories about who they are. They drive to a crowded diner where everyone is watching a news report confirming that the disasters have all stopped. It's actually a news report being like, this just in, the pandemic's not happening as much and planes aren't falling out of the sky anymore. Uh, is that the end of the movie? No, then, they get, back a- in, oh. then they get back in the car and the song that they were all singing to in an earlier flashback is Boogie Shoes by Casey and the Sunshine Band. They turn on the car, the radio starts playing, and coincidentally, the song is Boogie Shoes by Casey and the Sunshine Band playing on the radio. And then I think when turns the radio off, but then turns it back on, and the duo drive off, and that's the end of A Knock at the Cabin. Name one seven-year-old who listened to the radio. No, you can't, because <laughs> there is none in the world, right? So like, the idea of something playing on the radio is fucking ridiculous nonsense. Like... Endings are hard, right? And I'm not saying I've written something with a great ending or written something at all, right? So I'm not suggesting it's a challenge I've faced before, so I accept endings are hard. This strikes me as one of the worst endings in the history of this podcast that we've done. The Mist was a bad ending, and I think it was a bad ending because of its clumsiness. Like, there are enough horror films with bleak endings going on for The Mist like to be held like I think part of the reason people hold that ending up as being disturbing is because it's just so poorly executed and fucking dumb. This is missed level mismanagement of how narrative works. Imagine watching this film. I can only imagine watching this film because I'm never going to watch it. But like act one, reasonably right. strong. Act Compelling. two, reasonably strong. Act three of, oh, dap, da, 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 da. It was hard to hear what was happening over my groans, just being like, uh, like, like, honestly, and all they had to do was not have the plane fall out of the sky. So maybe there was just a crazy storm that is just happening. And then when they go to the diner, go into the diner, not have anything on TV, and everyone just look up from their meals at Yeah, I'm just chilling. Yeah. That would be it. That would do it. Imagine if the movie ends and we think maybe we killed one dad unnecessarily. Yeah. But, or maybe they saved the world and we don't know. Exactly. Because I think you don't actually know if you say, well, you know, like, oh, this just in. 
family saved the world. And, 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 like, you know, like, and sometimes it's like, sometimes they're just like, oh, it's like an aesthetic decision or it's a creative decision. I think what we're saying now, it's weird that we have to say this, but it's like, imagine if the movie was good. Like, imagine. Exactly. <laughs> but, but, but I think it's rare that like one or two tweaks, like the movie, like as we spoke about, this movie is created by hundreds and hundreds of people. Like minor tweaks. Yeah. Like this is... I think we can sheet this home, home to two people or perhaps one. It's an editing question. Like, uh, like they filmed a version of this where they didn't know the outcome. Yeah. They filmed a version of mm. this where the CGI work they did to put the plane in the background didn't happen. That's what I mean. It's like that plane didn't really fall out of the background. All they have to, like, they, they just go delete plane from that shot. Done. Yep. Uh, like, this is just stunning, stunning mishandling. And I find it almost insulting to the audience as well. Like, ooh, the audience will get bummed out if they don't see a happy ending. And so on one view, it doesn't even edge into horror, right? Like, I think that's an available comment to make that I might just leave hanging in the air with no response. Uh, This was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?